2: You want
0: answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Hello again, free thinkers, and welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. So, guys, today is a huge day for myself and Matt. Today is the day we interviewed a man who is a freedom warrior and has not only single-handedly revived a global liberty revolution, but also an intellectual revolution. Now, I personally have learned so much from Dr. Ron Paul, and much of my work within journalism and activism is directly tied to the inspiration and information I've learned from the Liberty Goat. Now, I don't think we can point to a living legend that has done more for the cause of liberty than the greatest of all time, Ron Paul, And I'm gonna be honest here, the very first book I read about libertarianism was actually Ron Paul's Liberty Defined. One of the first protests I went to in my adult life was an End the Fed rally directly inspired by the great Ron Paul and his 2012 campaign. And the only man I have ever voted for was also Ron Paul. So when I say that this day is very significant to me, there's absolutely a reason why. The man who we interviewed today is individually responsible for the man I am today and for the work that we do now, which, as you guys know, I believe is so very important and is so personally near and dear to my heart. So without much further ado, here's our interview with the Liberty legend, Dr. Ron Paul. Dr. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. We are absolutely elated to talk with you today. We had the honor of talking to your right-hand man, Daniel McAdams, in late February for our podcast. And I just want to take a moment to thank him for setting up this interview with you. So Dr. Paul, I know you were on Tim Pool's show a few days ago and you remain a very busy man. And it's no exaggeration to say that both Matt and myself would likely never have started our organization, The Free Thought Project, if it wasn't for your influence. So you've certainly been an integral part of our liberty journey, and I can't thank you enough for your work over the years. But I know we only have a a limited amount of time today with you, and there's just so much to talk about. Over the past weekend, we saw the largest leak of U.S. government documents since the WikiLeak drops. Uh, We've also watched what some are calling the the beginning of the de-dollarization and the world's reserve currency starting to lose interest in the global financial system. We've seen China facilitate a peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, while the U.S. continues to send billions of dollars to Ukraine. And finally, just a couple of days ago, Biden finally signed a bill ending the COVID-19 national emergency just three short years after Trump announced the 15 days to slow the spread. So with so much going on, can you tell us what has your focus as being the most important thing that people should be aware of right now?
1: Well... Generally speaking, it's the size of governments uh, and their intrusion on our personal liberty. That was my strong motivation, but I got interested through looking at uh, finances and the uh, monetary system, especially uh, gold-backed currencies, and that led to other things because uh, in 1971, the prediction that the Bretton Woods would break down and a dollar would have to uh, you know, be uh, changed, and uh, we had to admit that we were bankrupt because we no longer honored our commitment, and that fascinated me. So I did as much reading as I could. I got interested in uh, the Mises Institute and the other other groups of uh, that was interested that they were interested in in the in the finance. So uh, I just decided to speak out and talk about uh, about this monetary system. But that led to other things because I think my first election was in '76, and that was in the midst of a bad decade because that was following the breakdown at Bretton Woods, a lot of in inflation and interest rates up to 21%. So it, it was a, a, a big deal. But, uh, you know, it was. Um, it was something that uh, I didn't have any plan. I didn't say, oh, you know, this looks like a good time for me to run for Congress. That was the (laughs) furthest thing from my mind. But I did decide that I wanted to talk about it. And in in 1974 was the first time I announced, and that was Watergate year. We had hardly any Republicans in Texas. There were only three Republican congressmen. So it wasn't a fertile field, but uh, nobody wanted to run. So The Republicans, the few that were there, they said, oh, yeah, we'll let you, we'll, we'll support you, you run for it. So it was, sort of, it was sort of playing games, but I did get a chance to talk about it, and before I knew it, there was uh, an opportunity. One congressman resigned, and we had a special election, and it went much further than I ever dreamed. But my wife told me at the beginning, she said, this is a dangerous thing you're doing because you're liable to get elected. No, she said, you're going to get elected and mess up our lives. I said, no, no way. There's no way I can do that. That's not, not my goal. And uh, so so I was amazed I ended up in Congress. So I thought, well, my goal ought to be as being as precise as I can be and following all my promises and the Constitution. And then I will have my two years and then I can go back to my medical practice. But it didn't turn out that way. It seemed like the, and my, my wife's opinion was, she says, when when you start talking, there's gonna be a lot of people say, Well, that that sounds good and it sounds like he's telling the truth, which was unique. And so she she sensed that it would be well received. And I was still very pessimistic and reluctant. So, no, but I'll do it for a year or two and and get this off of my chest. It'll be therapy for myself. But it turned out to be a much bigger deal than I thought.
2: Well, you mentioned monetary policy in there, then you've been talking about that for a long time, Dr. Paul. Uh, in all those years, you know, for for decades, you've been you've been screaming it from the rooftops. And now we have, you know, we have massive inflation. We have the dollar on the verge of losing its world reserve status. Have you ever in in all of your decades experience, have you ever seen it come to a point like this?
1: Yeah, I expected it. Uh, you know, when when they set up Bretton Woods, which was a pseudo gold gold standard, we weren't a lot of gold but uh the dollar was convertible to gold by uh people overseas and uh henry Hazlitt, when they set it up at the very beginning which was at and was i think I was at 44. he says it can't work it's ridiculous but we had all the gold in the world and we were spared the disaster of world war ii and things were ha- going well so us having that reserve currency it took a long time for us to totally waste it uh so but the 70s were predicted by many the austrian econom- economics uh, uh, explained why it would come and it did the 70s were a mess and <clears throat> most things don't surprise me uh they disappoint me but uh, the where we are now sometimes i think uh, why haven't they why haven't they given up on this ridiculous system a long time ago but there's a lot of power in government dollars are defended by total economic wealth there's defended by by uh, perceptions of military strength and we were a military power so we were giving uh, a longer life than we deserve but i do think that what your suggestion is is i think the dollar definitely is fading and getting weaker i i think uh, that we're in the transition period uh, you know, there's been ups and downs with the dollar a long time ago, even in the 70s. There was a lot of that. But right now, I believe it's a true transition because it's related to foreign policy. It's relating to those countries that are sick and tired of us putting on sanctions and trying to run their economies and their lives. And so there's a lot of resentment. And I think that's going to gain strength. And you see it now, you know, when you see that uh, China and russia these various countries brazil they they, they're ganging up on us and uh, i think that this may may speed up too it's unpredictable when it when the final collapse comes it's unpredictable how long the transition is but most of the time it goes along for a while and then all of a sudden there's a panic and people start really dumping it that's when we have to be very concerned because yes a lot of people will get a lot poorer. They're not protected. There'll be more violence and all. But uh, I, I think there'll be uh, a, a big chance of us having, uh, you know, real uh, chaos, uh, physical chaos. And uh, of course, uh, under those conditions, war is likely to break out. And right now, our insane foreign policy is almost trying to look for it because people finished you know uh the world war Two is being convinced that World War II got us out of the depression—it's total insanity. I remember the the end of the depression and World War II, and things were worse in World War II because there was rationing and shortages and all of this. So war does not get us out of the depression. But there's still a lot of people I met in Washington. Uh, you know, they'd whisper, "Yeah, well, we're Iran as a war. That'll that'll stimulate the economy. Yeah, by killing a lot of people and making people poor." It made no sense to me. I
0: guess you really can't blame much of the global economy really taking this turn against the dollar. I mean, after decades of weaponization of our banking and monetary policy and sanctions, I mean, it seems to only make sense. It's probably not going to be pretty, so we should definitely brace for that. But Dr. Paul, speaking of former predictions, in 2004, about 19 years ago, you made a speech on the House floor about disbanding NATO. And you said, quote, in conclusion we should not be wasting us tax money and taking on more military obligations expanding nato its alliance its alliance is a relic of the cold war a holdover from another time it should be disbanded the sooner the better and it feels like this is something you know that is actually happening right now you also mentioned that the expansion of of nato would be expanding the U.S. military bases right up to the border of former of the former Soviet Union. So obviously you were correct about this. It's almost like you're a a fortune teller or something, Dr. Paul. But do you believe that even back then, like 20 years ago now, that where we're at now with the current involvement with the proxy war with Russia in Ukraine, was this always part of the U.S. agenda to, to inch NATO countries up
1: to the Russia's borders? Uh, probably by some, I think the deep state first, they had to sort of eliminate any remnant of our Republic and that they could run the show in the military industrial complex as CIA all work together to have a long-term plan. And so that is part of the strategy, especially if you recognize, uh, you know, the principles that, uh, bring the type of uh, people together, like the, uh, Marxists, they, they actually say it. Yeah, you know, that uh, uh, we we want to rebuild a world in a uh, in a, 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 a totalitarian society, but it's best to tear down the first one so that we can do it. So that's part of the philosophy. Now, as far as NATO goes, uh, I can't remember when I first got introduced to those notions, but it was probably when I was either in probably not college, probably I started reading some of this when I was going through medical school and residency, that uh, when when you know the history of, uh, you you know, Robert Taft, Robert Taft, you know, at the same time, you you know, uh, when they were putting NATO together, uh he he warned about that so i had to admit i was sort of cheating you know <laughs> he was he he was talking about it back in there same way with uh with hazlitt that's why looking back sometime is very interesting that people have been warned about these things but uh the the disappointing thing that b- bothers me the most is, uh, you know, we, we run into a lot of people uh, that agree with us on these issues and uh, they, they, uh, th- th- they, they believe there should be less war and all these things in the marketplace is wonderful. And I mean, it's, it is magnificent what a, a true free society with a market economy would do for peace and prosperity. And I think, well, and some people say, "Well, Ron, you give a good speech, and you and people like that, and all." Yeah, but uh, you know, uh, I hope there was a. I, we, we, I helped a little bit, but we really haven't changed much yet. That's why we need more programs like yours and many more. Because I, I have to admit. I haven't followed your program, but there are people like you out there. And you, what the, you don't know is how many people listen to you and they start things up and pass a message. So getting that information is so important. And and uh, then you dig up people like Robert Taft, and he, he said we should never have joined NATO. So he he had to be uh, an individual willing, willing to challenge even at that time because what they used – so often, more so now than even back then, like, uh, uh, during the presidential campaign, you, you know, if you, oh, you want to bring the troops home, you don't care about the troops. You don't care about defending this country. You're, you're not very patriotic, you know, that kind of nonsense. And, uh, and yet I think the, what we have to offer is such a shame that we don't do better in the consequences of that. So I keep saying, well, you know, there's something wrong. That's something we haven't done yet. Uh, to win over, I think we have victories all the way along and I think we're better off than it was when we were in the 70s. I think there's more sound economic thinking, but it's not in Washington. So we, we aren't, uh, we're not up in Washington right now talking about this, but the people outside of Washington, there's more and more people that are hearing the message of liberty. And I think that's where it should be uh, very encouraging. But we also should look to ourselves, what do we do to make more people and get more people to be interested in liberty and find out well, do you care for peace and do you care for prosperity? We just talked about some people aren't, and maybe that's one of our problems. Maybe we haven't intellectually recognized where the source is. Of course, I put the emphasis on uh, you know on on the university system, the educational system. Uh, if it has any relationship to the government, you know it's very very biased, and that is probably the biggest hurdle that we have
2: it's pretty crazy you just mentioned the university system and we've watched for over the last 20 years we've watched the left go from like heavy anti-war rhetoric and you know and being out in the streets during the bush era and you know protesting every war but now it's their full-on support with their ukraine flags and their social media bios you know out there supporting it like that's one of the most mind-blowing aspects of this of the military industrial complex and their perpetual march towards this global war that they've been doing for so many years is they they keep the same playbook you know if millions of lives weren't at stake it would be laughable that this 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 same play on the same stage it keeps working and the American people keep watching it and buying into it you know they pick a demon they demonize him. we had Gaddafi we had Saddam Hussein now we have Putin the the all the media comes to, uh, you know, to the forefront and starts demonizing that person. And all the well, at least half of the United States falls in lockstep and, and goes on and supports that. I mean, you've witnessed this numerous times from both inside and outside of D.C. Uh, what, in your opinion, what do you think, like, that keeps causing the American people to keep falling for that same stale shtick? You know, you we, we we obviously we have the liberty movement. We have out organizations like ours who who can see around this but even sometimes within the libertarian movement we have people that fall back for this well what do you think uh, causes that
1: they're apathetic and they're not interested and uh they, they and, and the other thing is is the uh in a way it's prosperity Uh, over over the years, in spite of the imperfections of our system, we've been a free society to a large degree and we have produced a lot and there is a lot of wealth and there's a lot to pass out and there's a lot of welfare. And right now, one of the major problems we have today is finding people who work. Uh, they're, they're, They're not interested in that. So I think we had so much prosperity and the government was able to corral them, say, well, you spend more. And this is true. They probably spend more money on lobbyists in Washington than they do on research, you know, because that's where, that's where the money comes from. Just think of the people who are in the military industrial complex or the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, they have to spend a large amount of money, you know, just getting the rules passed so that they benefit from it. So I think there was a lot of wealth and uh, we were getting away without depending on Production and sound currency, but now things have changed significantly. Uh, the dollar is not stable. Uh, we have the inflation, and, uh, and and we're not as wealthy. We have more enemies than ever. You know, after World War II, I mean, we were the saviors of the world in a way. You know, uh, politically. So this, uh, but this this is different now. The world's ganging up on us, and that's uh, that's why the conditions have have changed. But uh, we're not going to be as productive, and I think that's why we're going to get a lot poorer. I say we're getting poorer because debt does matter. That debt is a big deal, and all debt has to be liquidated. People ask so often, uh, you, you know, will the government default and not send me my check? That's a big question in their mind. And I tell them, don't sweat it. They're always going to send you a check, but they are defaulting. We're in the middle of the default. And that means they're p- printing money and handing out money that's worth less. And that's why the middle class and the poor are paying the largest amount of taxes because the wealthy don't really care what the price of bread is, you know, so that doesn't matter to them. So, and and that uh, that's a message we haven't gotten out to them because it's still, you know, even if you're um, a, a free market Republican, Republicans will... You know, be blamed. oh, you know, they're they're getting ready to get rid of uh, Social Security. Well, yeah, the system's going to get rid of Social Security, but because there's no way that they can keep up with the payments uh, with the prices as they're going up, because people, uh, Social Security goes up, but never will it go up at the rate of uh, inflation, so people will get poorer. How many times do you hear now today, uh, you know, they, uh, are you for paycheck? to paycheck, yeah, every year is a little bit, uh, a little bit more so. And uh, but, so people are getting poorer, and maybe that has something to do with uh, if you get rid of the incentive and people get poorer and the government's giving out fake money, maybe that's why there's homelessness going up. Uh, so it's an economic, it is a political event, but that that is so startling to me. I mean, uh, even though it doesn't surprise me, it's so startling and disappointing when I look at the streets of San Francisco and L.A., and it's spreading around Detroit and chicago it's still we have the message that is so delightful and we can't get that message to realize don't you know why you know take chicago for instance they had not a very good governor of chicago or or, you know mayor of chicago so they like somebody worse so it's going to get worse until the people finally wake up that was what happened in the 60s as over vietnam and uh, finally when the when the when the killing got out of control, uh, we find the people. This the people. There had to be demonstrations here, and the Congress had to wake up, and they finally said no more money. And re, um, what I'm hoping for, fingers crossed, is that that's what's happening with uh, the sentiment today over Ukraine. Uh, people are saying, you know, we're in bad trouble. Why are we spending these? T- billions and billions of dollars to ukraine and do you know what there's probably c- corruption in, in in ukraine so people will wake up they woke up uh you know over uh over the covid thing People finally go, They this is too much, mm-hmm. you know, but the sentiment is still out there. The enemy is still there. They might back off a little bit, but it's there and we should be warned by these things. But we also should grab hold of how people change and you have to get the people uh, you, you don't want. You know, the purity of a democratic system, but you do want a consensus by the people. It's time to end the war. It's time to quit this inflation. It's it's time and make sure that they don't say, you know, the, the, the cliche has always been all my lifetime when I thought about inflation. We're out of money. Send me more money. We send more money, and prices kept going up. Someday they're going to wake up and say, stop these prices from going up. Oh, you mean you want sound money? You want the value of the dollars to be stable uh, and increase in value even. So that's an educational issue. That's how I got started, you know, in the political system. And I think it's going to be a key issue. But the most important key issue is is sorting out who's telling the truth and who depends on lies and which group believe that there is no such thing as truth. That is the big that's the big problem we have to deal
0: with. Absolutely wonderful points there, Dr. Paul. And we we know you have to go. So we have just maybe one more quick question, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. We always try to end the show on a positive note, talking about some solutions or how we could remain white-pilled and optimistic about the future. Now, in a segment you did with Fox Business, I guess it was probably about 10 years ago now, you said, quote, I don't like the use of force. I like voluntarism. That's what a free society is supposed to be about. And when you said that, it shocked some people who didn't realize that some of your ideological beliefs overlap with anarchism and voluntarism. I guess they just thought you were maybe a strict Republican or conservative when you ran for president. But do you still believe that voluntarism is the future and the best path towards liberty?
1: Well, we don't know exactly what will happen, but I know that's the only re- viable, productive thing that we could do if we want to improve the situation. Because I think it's easy to explain. What What does it mean? It means that you and I should do nothing with each other that we don't want. If we want to come together and come on your show or buy something or sell something, two sides have to agree. So we're not, you know, it's a benefit to both of us. It, one doesn't have an advantage over the other. So volunteerism is a wonderful answer and of course the principle there is a uh, is non-aggression you, you're not a lot of use force in the involuntarism and uh, and what what with the best surprise that a lot of people got when I would hear a speech that I would turn that into, and you know, this means that your personal life is voluntary too. And, uh, the judgment, it should be made by individuals, family or church or whatever, but you don't have the right to make, uh, make a decision, uh, about how people use it. As long as they follow these rules, just everything is voluntary and everything is nonviolent. And, Oh, that's it. And then, then they were surprised that even in the 90s, I represented a, you know, a Bible Belt district. And uh, I talked about uh, the ridiculousness of the drug war. And as a physician and grandfather and all this, you know, I, I think drugs are pretty stupid to tell you the truth. And, uh, and yet, uh, I was I was probably one of the champions of and, and worked hard to try to get rid of it, and yet we still have a lot of problems, uh, you know, uh, with with the dealing with the drugs. Uh, but it, but at least it, they've softened up a little bit. When I uh, was starting in this back in the seventies and eighties, if you if you were sixteen years old and you got smoke smoking a joint, you might go to prison. You know, that's how that's how ridiculous it was. And and, uh, so I think explanation like that. But I love the word volunteerism and uh, tolerance, you know, under that system. If you say, well, my neighbor does this and we don't like it, They drink too much beer. I said, well, if they drink their beer in their house and they don't bug you, you you just have to live with it.
2: (laughs) For sure. And volunteerism has like a much older name, right? It's called the golden rule. Yeah, that's it. That's a, called that for a reason, right? right? <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Boy, and makes... I've
1: used that a lot in the foreign policy thing, you know, when I would be in mm-hmm. debate, say, like, you know, well, that would be like uh, p- p- putting uh, the Chinese putting their Navy uh, 12 miles off the shores of Texas. The Texans wouldn't tolerate that very well.
2: No, you gave that amazing speech about that, about encroaching on the United States. And it was eye opening to so many people. (laughs) But uh, well, I know you got to go, Dr. Paul, so um, I think I speak for both Jason and I when I say it's certainly been an honor to talk with you. And um, although it's been short, but uh, I just want to thank you for being a beacon of liberty in a world where that liberty seems to be under constant attack. Uh, Your commitment to freedom has inspired countless individuals like myself to seek truth. Uh, challenge the status quo and you know and do what we're doing here at free thought project to try to reach more people and and spread these ideas uh
1: yeah and you guys keep up the good work because this makes the difference (laughs) you know how many people and and uh, the positive thing is 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 you say well you know i have so many people watch us as you tell you and people like what we're doing but but uh, you don't know how much good you might be doing you know and that's the neat thing is uh, you know an idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any military operation and that's that's why we should keep doing working in the world of ideas i think that is where the difference will be
2: for sure, man. Thank you very much for being a guiding light in this fight for freedom. And uh, thanks for coming on our podcast, Doctor.
1: Thank you. Great being with you.
0: All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the truth liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses, and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep. Please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers. Well, uh, yeah, that was amazing. I could could say that my heart is still racing a little bit. You know, somebody of uh, that stature who's done so much. You know, he's done so much, not only just for changing our views and our opinions and maybe even completely revamping our principles and beliefs you know but he's done so much on just the global world stage and he's been an inspiration to so many Matt like it's it still blows my mind that we even got this this interview with him and 20 minutes certainly wasn't enough but uh at least we got that right
2: no we squeezed out 27 from the great doctor so that was a <laughs> that's pretty awesome man that's oh, true and like I said to him before the show you know 2007 in baton rouge uh me and justin gardner who used to write for the free thought project we waited in line for for many hours just to shake dr paul's hands and um then this time you know we actually got to interview him and it's amazing man he's as old as my dad would be and he still has his wits about him and he's able to answer and recall all these names it's it's crazy that he's able to do that at this age and and you know he had to leave us to go in another interview and talk to more people it's uh he's still fighting a good fight man i feel like we just interviewed like our the modern day george washington or thomas jefferson or somebody like that man it's uh truly like i'm i'm on a high right now feeling that you know
0: (laughs) sure and yeah he's like 87 now i believe so you know he's close to 90 guys and it's 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 probably, I would imagine, not easy to retain as much information and knowledge as he has. And and in fact, I was going to say, like, I felt a bit overwhelmed preparing for this podcast the past day and a half, just because he's he's again, he's done so much. It's like, how do we boil that down? How do we encapsulate that into a few questions? And I think on this, in this case, um, maybe the first question that I asked to him maybe got misinterpreted a little bit because we were trying to kind of start the conversation talking about some current events and instead you know dr paul bless him you know he maybe gave us a little bit more of an explanation of how he got involved with all this which i think maybe some of us had already heard before but you know there's just so much to say to him and i actually had to break my questions apart because there's some personal questions that i wanted to ask him and in fact i didn't even get a chance to and then there's kind of current topics kind of trending news topics that you know obviously he's just such a uh, a resource such a, a wealth of knowledge that it, it could very easily be Uh, you know, we could get some type of perspective or take from him about something that's going on now that really would be valuable to our audience. But, you know, at the very end there, I was really debating like, okay, do we ask him about voluntarism? Because I know that's a topic that he's passionate about, it gets him excited. And I know there's still some people out there that don't even realize that Ron Paul is an anarchist voluntarist, you know, so I felt like that was kind of important. But another question that I wanted to ask him was basically, if After the past three years, if he's felt vindicated and and more than just the three, the past three years, the last three years are pretty much when a lot of people have kind of woken up to the, the COVID scam-demic. But I mean, Dr. Paul, you know, we were being called conspiracy theorists, but he was called much worse. He was berated on talk shows. Uh, He was shunned and smeared by the media. I mean, he was ignored by his own political party, but he always remained logically, morally and ideologically consistent. And now it almost feels like the chickens are coming home to roost, right? Because so many more Americans are beginning to question their government, the the media narratives. So I really wanted to hear if he had felt vindicated, you know, like kind of looking back as a whole about some of the ideas that he shared over the years, because let me tell you, like, you know, abolishing the IRS and ending the department of education, like that wasn't something that was commonly talked about even 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. So You know, he—he's really changed the Overton window. He's changed the dynamic of conversation and what's acceptable, and what's our target conversation, I guess, in this day and age. And that was one question I I wish I could have asked him. Maybe we'll try to get him on again someday. But uh, there's just so much, you know.
2: Oh yeah, man, for sure. And uh, you know how we always ask for solutions at the end. There, Ron Paul's literally been doling out solutions for the last fifty years. So it's. It's uh, I, I wanted to ask him what kept his optimism and his, you know, maybe not so much his optimism, but hopefulness, you know, his white yes. filledness, and uh, and like you said, you know, like how did he feel vindicated? He could, all these solutions that he's been saying for the last fifty years had we listened to half of them, you know, and and enacted them, then we wouldn't be in this crazy spot that we're in right now with this with inflation and potentially nuclear war and <clears throat> and everything else i mean he's like he truly is the king of i told you so you know that's just that <laughs> if if we'd have listened it would have been much nicer and he probably doesn't like to wear that title too you know too much because it means that there people aren't listening to what he's been saying and instead attack his character attack him, his associations or loose associations with people in the past that he had you know that he had come in contact with and it's uh it's a shame man this dr paul is uh one of the most peaceful nicest like non-aggressive smart people that this world has ever seen and he the fact that people attack him for wanting to leave people alone and and be peaceful then uh you know it just goes to show the brainwashing that we were talking about earlier during the podcast it's <clears throat> it's crazy
0: yeah that reminds me of that meme there's like a a meme that has a bunch of different roads. And in the very middle, it's like Ron Paul was right, you know, so all all roads lead to basically Ron Paul being right. And that's absolutely true. And that's a great point, Matt. And I I remember distinctly back in 2011. What drew me to him was that he didn't feel like the typical used car salesman politician where he was trying to sell you some like, here's this free and we're going to improve your life with college education and X, Y, and Z. But instead he was basically telling people the truths that they didn't want to hear. And I know that that has always been a problem for the American people is that bitter truth pill. They don't like taking it. In fact, they're afraid of it most of the time. And so they much rather have a politician sweet talk them and lie to them as Obama did rather than hear some of the hard truths. And that was, you know, I, I felt like a, I felt like a cheerleader when I first found Ron Paul. I had never, ever cared about any politicians, politics, didn't even know what the difference between a Democrat or Republican was. I couldn't tell you. But when I heard Ron Paul speak, I knew the man was sincere. I knew he was authentic. And I knew what he was saying was exactly the truth of what we needed to do and how we had to evolve as a country to be in a better place than we were. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, Matt, that just wasn't something that people took seriously you know as I said you know he he was labeled a kook he was labeled a conspiracy theorist he was labeled crazy and it turns out everything he said was true it turns out everything he said was accurate this man has been a prophet for truth and for freedom and he's been fighting for freedom for so many decades mm-hmm. and unfortunately this once again just reaffirms that some of the people that come across as the craziest in society, Just because they're not talking and sharing the sentiment of popular opinion, these people are the people who actually have a better understanding of what's going on. They're more educated. They're more in tune with counterintuitive ideas. And it would probably do us all a favor as a society to actually start to give some of these types of people a little bit more credence and hear them out before just labeling, labeling them crazy and conspiracy theorists for sure man and
2: it's it's a you know it's important to point out that Ron Paul's not just coming up with all this he's got great maps laid out in front of him through the Austrian school of economics which he studied for years before that who have a template of what governments do we know we know that they do this we we know that <clears throat> governments have a tendency to become too bureaucratic and rigidified and then they they they're forced to implement tyrannical legislation just to prop themselves up and and the and the you tie in a central bank with that and you're going to it's going to be the same thing over and over again. So it's not it's not like he's this this clairvoyant, you know, this he's he's um, he's actually got a roadmap of all this. And the Austrian school has been documenting this stuff for hundreds of years and have watched it played out multiple times. And it's uh, very simple to predict that Ron Paul was just a, a, a very good intermediary between like the Austrian school, which is somewhat difficult to start unless you dive right in and study it. He was a very good intermediary between the layman and and this very highly technical economic school and <clears throat> he was he had the ability to relay that to to us like you said dude i didn't give a shit about politics dude i was i, I had you know a i was starting to wake up and i had listened to the a little bit of the zeitgeist movement and i was like tr- turning basically socialist i was like we should all have houses on the beach and all you know i was fucking lost and then I saw Ron Paul speak, and he the way that he was able to relay these very not very complex, but these very boring ideas of economics and how things play out, but relate them to our daily lives and what's going to happen and what is happening and the way he laid that out, like that was amazing. He had a he had an uncanny ability to be able to appeal to the masses like that and know he he, because he was able to do that he sparked a massive liberty movement which is now one of the largest competing parties with the two party uh you know paradigm that we're under right now and um it's it's just it's amazing man it was uh like i said i'm still kind of like giddy as like a schoolboy right now from uh from talking with him and uh i mean that's that's it dude that's that's ron paul in a nutshell (laughs)
0: yeah absolutely you know before before i got into this world i was somewhat involved with protests and i was doing anti-war protests i had my own versions of activism and i was kind of interested in animal rights and stuff it's probably some something a lot of people don't know about me but i remember in like 07 08 during his first campaign there was such a grassroots movement to get his name more recognized and well-known in society. I remember distinctly seeing these banners, banners across huge freeway bridges <laughs> saying, you know, research Ron Paul. And I was like, Ron Paul, like what a, that's a weird name. Like who is this guy who has two first names, you know, and it never, I unfortunately at that point in time, I didn't, I wasn't motivated enough to actually do the research, but I distinctly remember it. And that's not something that really occurs that type of, organic grassroots movement if unless it's some type of like astroturfed like you know movement that's being funded and pushed by you know major conglomerates and, and corporations and stuff like that that's a different story that's more of what we've seen over the past i would say 10 years or so but back in these days there was a very organic movement to get ron paul recognized and um i guess just more on the mainstream platforms as far as his notoriety but with that being said there's a reason why because he's very intelligent he's very educated he's very well read too in fact several times throughout our podcast he mentioned henry Hazlitt, and um i i wanted to talk about it while we were interviewing him but i felt like it would probably detract from the conversation and we only had a limited amount of time but henry hazelit was a brilliant writer and Uh, economist in, I believe, the 30s. And uh, one of the big books that I know Ron has recommended over the years, as well as people like Lou Rockwell from the Mises Institute, is Henry Hazlitt's book, which is Economics in One Lesson. And if you have any interest, I know some of our listeners maybe haven't really spent too much time educating themselves about economics, but if you have any interest in learning about economics I would highly recommend this book by Henry Hazlitt, Economics in One Lesson. For me, when I started to learn economics, and I'm certainly no, no expert, but I have a pretty good grasp on it. But once I did, it was almost like I was looking through the world through a new lens. And it certainly changes the perspective that we have. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people think of economics as being kind of this dreary, boring, calculated, kind of technical school of thought. And it's so much more than that, guys, especially if you tie in um, praxeology, human action, some of the direction that Mises himself, Ludwig von Mises, took the understanding and school of thought of um, economics. I mean, this, to me, was a huge change in my own uh, intellectual development. So I very much urge our audience to, to check out that book and check out the Mises Institute. But One thing I didn't get a chance to talk about with Dr. Paul and kind of changing subjects here was Julian Assange. And I know recently uh, the Liberty Report, Ron Paul's Liberty Report, and Mr. Daniel McAdams covered a story about how a group of House Democrats are actually urging the uh, attorney general and the Biden administration to drop charges against the WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange. And this comes just uh, a few days after uh, 48 Australian politicians also urged the U.S to abandon the extradition of Julian Assange I think I shared that story with you Matt now we know that you know President Trump had the option to pardon Assange but of course didn't even after he wrote the coattails of Wikileaks when they had that dump in 2016 of uh emails which Hillary Clinton you know she was, Kind of nailed to the wall in some of those emails and it certainly gave donald trump an upper hand during the 2016 election but of course trump being the the cowardly snake that he is he later claimed to not even know what wikileaks was which of course was a a bald-faced lie but i would have been really interested to hear ron paul's take on if he believes that assange could be released With all the pressure currently being placed on the Biden administration. And, you know, I know this is a bit of a pipe dream because it feels like Julian Assange, for many of us, has been locked up for as long as we can remember, or maybe as long as we've been doing this. But it does feel like now could be the time. I know Biden's numbers are down as far as his approval rating. Like this could be something that actually sets him up for the 2024 election. So, yeah, I didn't get a chance to ask you know, Dr. Paul about that, but I would have been very much interested to hear his take on it.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, he would have, I, I don't know if he would have been optimistic that Assange would be getting out, but you know, he's certainly fighting for it. I mean, he, he, before when Edward Snowden was, uh, you know, they were trying to extradite Edward Snowden out of Russia. He was, supporting edward snowden's clemency before it was cool you know he uh he he started a petition back in 2014 and to to try to grant edward snowden clemency and and he's long supported that and that was even though his son uh was actually wanting to extradite edward snowden back to the united states so he could stand trial and potentially serve jail time so he you know like that's that's how dedicated to his principles ron paul is is that he um you know he disagrees with his son plenty of times over the over the course of his son's tenure as a senator and uh but his son seems to be coming around rand paul seems to be getting more and more like ron paul uh as as the days go by and i kind of like it i guess that comes with age
0: yeah you know Someday we're just going to have to sit down with Ron Paul and uh, have a conversation. I mean, hopefully that happens, right? Obviously we've mentioned, you know, he, he's getting up there in age, but there's so many like almost just like bro conversation questions that I have for him. And that was like one of them that I kind of brainstormed on earlier today was like, I I'd just love to hear his like honest take on Rand Paul, like obviously his son and like <laughs> where, where what's their differences like? How did Rand become just slightly more status? Is actually Rand slightly more status, or is this just him playing the game of politics? Like maybe Rand completely is a voluntarist. Maybe he, he shares all the same principles as his father, but this is just his approach and his strategy playing the game, and maybe having more success in that sense of playing the game rather than being, you know, as Ron Paul has been dubbed, you know, Doctor No. I mean, he was the one who, you know voted no on so many bills that he ended up getting a nickname Dr. No. So that would be one of the questions. And then you know I have a couple other kind of off the cuff questions too. Just I know there's been um rumors over the years. I know you thought this one was kind of silly Matt, but like, you know, has he actually really delivered 4,000 babies? Like that's a huge amount of babies to like brought into this world and I don't know just to have <laughs> been born by Dr. Paul. Like that's a blessing in itself. But uh yeah, that was many of them were for free. <laughs> That's right, huh? That's right. God, I forgot about that. And that just goes to my point. There's just so much that this man has accomplished over his years. It still blows my mind that we had a chance to have a conversation with him today. And again, I just I felt so overwhelmed trying to kind of boil it all down that there's no chance. There's no possible way that I could actually have. Boiled it all down into a few questions to ask them. So, I, I think ultimately we we had we had a good time with them today. We did a good job with the questions that we asked, and uh, yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed it.
2: Same man, and and I, I feel your pain on the the scope of what we were going to ask. in my spreadsheet for our normal podcasts, where I have just a few topics to you know that we could go on to, it was all over the place for 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 Ron Paul, man. But uh, and I didn't get to five percent of it, but <laughs> it's uh, it was awesome. We I think I like I like how we did it and I like what we did. But I think, you know, short of the him mistaking that first question for uh, like a, a an origin story, which, like you said, we both all or most people already know, um, I think it was awesome and he he definitely gave us some good information, man.
0: This was a great podcast. I, I think our audience is going to very much enjoy it. And um, yeah, we have a lot of great guests line up, guys, including we're working on getting Afro Man onto the podcast as well. So that should be a great one and quite a few other great guests, guys. So definitely stay tuned. Definitely subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean and even Google Podcasts.
2: Yes, sir. One for the history books right here, brother.
0: All right, Freethinkers. Thanks so much for listening to this one. And we'll catch you guys next time.